standard issue for all women. Hi, it's Hannah. I've taken over Sunday Chops this week. Earlier this week, I spoke to author and comedian Caitlin Brodnick about her book, Dangerous Boobies, which tells the story of her decision to have a preemptive double mastectomy when she was given an 87% chance of developing breast cancer in her lifetime. It's a really good read. It tells you all about her diagnosis with the mutated gene, about her decision to take the surgery, and it takes her right through her surgery. Um, it, it manages to be very funny, even though it's about a very serious issue. Anyway, we caught up this week, and here's the interview. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I have just finished reading your book, which I enjoyed oh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed very much. It, it's difficult to make anything that's serious funny, and you have certainly achieved thank that. Thank you. That you do have a background in comedy, don't you? I do, yeah. I think that was the challenging thing. So I was like, I know I can make, I can, I can joke, and I know we can have fun with this, but I was a little bit worried. I also, it was really important to me to put all of, like, the medical information, so I just relied really heavily on some incredible doctors. You know, I know that I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a scientist. I do think you have to approach it in a kinder, softer way, because some of the information out there is just so overwhelming. It's also nothing that I, I didn't want to read any of that when I was first trying to figure out when I first was diagnosed and I was learning about my own health. I didn't want to read any of those serious medical memoirs, you know, a medical abstract or even an online article. I'd get very overwhelmed. So I was like, what would I have wanted? And how can I make, like, ease somebody into this? So My mom had treatment for breast cancer earlier this year. And, I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, well, that's hard. She is, it, well, it wasn't great, uh, not least for her. Mm -hmm. But the entire experience has been interesting in that it has actually had moments that were genuinely really entertaining and have become family anecdotes yeah. of funny things. I mean, including yeah. the other day I took her to her appointment, uh, like her final appointment, and they asked her to fill an exit form in that said, and of course she said yes because she's helpful, but then of course I had to do it because it was on an, an iPad and she didn't know how to use it. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions genuinely was, uh, would you recommend this treatment to a friend or a colleague? <laughs> <laughs> and we were roaring laughing at it. And she said, is there a button that says only if they have cancer? And I was like, no, it's just a one to 10 scheme. <laughs> So, you know, so, as you're going shopping, getting your groceries, just tell everyone, yeah. try chemo, <laughs> try a little radiation. Exactly. We should probably uh, skip back a bit for our listeners that mm -hmm. haven't had the benefit of sure. uh, reading your book. You decided to move forward with your double mastectomy because you had tested positive for a gene that showed that you were likely or more likely to develop breast cancer. But you actually have a, a family history, including in your dad's family, yes. which is quite extraordinary. I do. So I don't think the decision is right for everyone, but mine definitely came as a result of really a childhood of dealing with death. My dad's the only surviving person in his family. He's lost both parents and two sisters to cancer. And as I was growing up as a child, I just knew all too well. We joke in our family, like, we're very good at funerals. Like, if you need us to come to a funeral, we know exactly what to do. Like, I just went to so many funerals and dealt with so much death. And I was actually born nine months after my aunt passed away at 33 from breast cancer. And we think she got it at 27 and she ignored it. And it became the size of a golf ball by the time she started treatment. And so she passed away. And so I was born and they 
it's very popular in the Jewish tradition to name a child or give a child's middle name to somebody who recently passed. So we talk about death a lot. We talk about life a lot. But I knew immediately that, like, I was considered the reincarnation of my dead aunt, who I never met. But I knew that she died of breast cancer. I knew that it was a horrible tragedy in the family. And so I just was very aware of this type of tragedy at a very young age. And so when I got tested positive for the BRCA1, and it's a genetic mutation, so everyone has a BRCA1 and a BRCA2 gene, also called BRCA, but if you have the mutation, that means that your body has less of an ability to fight off bad behaving cells, cancer cells that sort of are being rogue and they're not doing what they should be doing. And our body has all these wonderful natural defenses, but if you have the genetic mutation, then your body has a less is less able to handle that. So they told me when I was, I believe, 25, that I had a lifetime expectancy of getting breast cancer, and that percentage was 87%. I think now, with more research, it's lowered to 83%, but that was so alarming That's as a young woman, and I really, it felt like I, they were, I was given a cancer diagnosis. It, it felt like I was waiting for cancer my whole life, and then for them to give me this incredibly high gene, which... In, in a crazy way, it was, I think, comforting to my father because it wasn't just a fluke that he lost all these wonderful family members. It was a gene that was connected. So hopefully if there's a cause, there's a solution. Yeah. Um, and he's in the medical industry. So I think for him, it felt like terrible, but also, okay, we can we can handle this. There's It's a specific problem. It's not just by chance. Um, but when I got, and I got it from his side of the family, and he has the gene, and so men and women can both have the gene. But when I got diagnosed with it, I really lost my mind. <laughs> it really was the most insane thing. You say in your book, uh, there's a, an honesty in it, you just didn't think about it and got drunk for three years, which I think is how a lot of women in their 20s yeah. do deal with their problems, be they problems for the oh, past yeah. or problems coming in the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, as a young woman, like, when, my, when I got the test, I was like, this is insane. And I also... I didn't go to the right person to get to deliver that information. I, I went to like a very brash, very intense surgeon who just immediately told me we should have the mastectomy and I was young and I was scared. And so instead of going and meeting with a genetic counselor who's sort of like a therapist and a medical expert in one and they can explain everything to you, they can break it down for you, they can talk about how it might affect your family and your future in a really like lovely way. I had this other experience. And so, yeah, I just got trashed. I just got drunk for years and was like this sad girl talking about her diagnosis that she might one day could have cancer. You never know. And like, yeah. I was uh, a basket case. <laughs> you do say a lot in, in when you're writing it, that obviously you're keen to point out that you, you didn't actually ever have a cancer diagnosis. And I, th I think, no, I I think to be honest, that's actually quite common because, like I say, when I, when I have been talked about my mum, it always comes with the, the sort of couching of the fact that she got better and you are aware that lots of people don't. So I think there is this kind of scale that you that, that you draw in your own head of, oh, there are going to be wor people worse off than me. I won't think about this sort of right now. I found it very interesting. You talk quite a lot about the fact that Angelina Jolie did mm -hmm. so much and I assume that this is part of the same thing if you talk about it and get that out there is what's driven you to write the book yes exactly i mean i really think angelina jolie's 
honesty was just incredible. And she didn't really have to do much more. She just had to say she had the surgery and what the surgery was and her diagnosis. And it just opened the door. Like, it made it so much more approachable in this crazy way. And, you know, we don't want to believe that celebrities can influence or help us, but this incredibly famous, overly sexualized woman who uses her body and her breasts really well and to her advantage and she's way more comfortable in her body than I would probably ever be in mine and she is coming out to say she had this very intense you know life-changing and body alterating surgery and it just was so refreshing to also have an actress be so honest about it there I know there are so many actresses and celebrities who talk about plastic surgery or don't talk about it and it's all sort of hidden and hush hush and for her just to be like this is what I'm doing it's very important to me I felt such a kinship because there is that feeling I haven't had cancer yet so I have I do feel at times like nervous or embarrassed when I'm around cancer survivors because they're so much more stronger than I could ever be like I literally chose to pay doctors to remove body parts (laughs) because I am so afraid of getting cancer and I know some people will say, well, it's so extreme, but I've seen cancer wreak havoc on so many family members, and I've seen it not go very well, and I've seen the speed at which cancer can go, and and I know some amazing women who beat it, and they're fabulous, and they're like back to rock climbing and living their lives, but as I understood it, it, in my experience as my childhood, and also the people that I've known, I have a friend who's currently dying from it, and it's just was something that I knew that I didn't want to handle. And for quite frankly, I didn't know if I could emotionally handle it. I didn't know if I did get cancer, if it would just feel like I knew it was going to happen. This is the time I go. Like some women are pretty incredible and their mental strength and their willpower can really help them. It's a really important added bonus to treatment. And I was like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if based on the way I re- deeply feel and how afraid I am of cancer, if I would really be able to like fight the way you, you do need to fight. I also had insanely large breasts and was excited to have a breast like reduction and redo. So I was like, this is kind of a, a best of both worlds. I could get like two, kill two birds with one stone and get some really cute boobs. Uh, well, so you've hit on it there. I mean, you do, I have to say from, from reading a book, you did appear to have insanely huge breasts and that comes from someone who has pretty big breasts themselves um but Mm -hmm. it's interesting about the relationship that women have Mm -hmm. with their breasts even if you don't realize perhaps that you do have a relationship with your breasts yeah well and I think every woman's incredibly different that's why I always say I'm going to share my experience but I don't know if it's right for everyone like I know some women that are very in touch with their breasts and they feel very connected and they feel that it's a very important part of their sexuality I never had that I felt like I was always drowning in my breasts I'm a very short woman and I just they were so large that I just felt like a balloon and I had always sort of thought and it was given to me as an option I talked about with family members that like I my dad said the family had enormous breasts and women in that family had had reductions and how wonderful reductions were, and I knew other women that had it, but even if I received a reduction, that wouldn't change my cancer risk because those cells, because of my genetic mutation, still have the same risk. So you could have tons of cells or a couple cells. Like it's, um, no matter what the size of your breast, the risk was still there. So I was like, oh, I could really handle all of this. And um, for me, it would be a waste to have a reduction surgery, which I always wanted, 
and then also to have to keep going through my cancer screening and still be at risk of cancer. Are we all right to mention that you're pregnant now? Yes, I'm pregnant. It's awesome. It's crazy. Excellent. What are you due? I'm due in February. Oh, lovely. That itself, you won't be able to breastfeed, will you? Because that is something that you have essentially given up by having this surgery. Am I yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was right before I decided to have the surgery, I was really nervous to talk about it with my husband because he loves like organic, healthy, free range, everything. And he's very, he doesn't like any toxic chemicals in the house. And he's like um, a hippie in that sense, but also smart. (laughs) Um, And so I was worried that like I would be giving his future children like a formula and I was worried that he'd be upset and then he told me he didn't care at all and that he was formula fed and I know I was formula fed so that stress quickly went away and I've talked to some really good friends of mine who've had children they said oh it's such a relief that you don't even have to have the stress of breastfeeding because I know I mean I definitely felt this and I won't be breastfeeding but there is such a pressure there is such a stigma I do think it's incredible and so healthy but I think there's a lot of pressure to be like the perfect mom as soon as the baby comes out and to be perfect at breastfeeding and to be handling everything wonderfully. And I luckily, like I have a lot of my own anxiety, so I'll handle other stuff. I don't have to stress about the breastfeeding. One of the things I really enjoyed about your book was when you first went bra shopping with your new breasts and you discovered Mm -hmm. that bra shopping is a pain in the backside, whatever size your breasts are. I think I find that strangely reassuring. Yeah, bra shopping is difficult no matter what. I went in and I thought, like, I designed these breasts. They're made by me and a team of, like, amazing female doctors. I know what my size is. I created my own size. And I go in and I still can't find a bra that fits. And it's because no bra fits all. And I, before when I had really large breasts, I was so upset because I could never shop in regular stores. I'd have to have my bras specially ordered. I actually got them from Fig Leaves in the UK. That was the only place that had it. And so I would like order them from the UK and and have them shipped in. And it was such a struggle. And I felt so other and odd and not like a regular woman. Or I felt bad that I couldn't just walk into a bra store and find something. And then I got my breast thinking that it would be perfect. And I still can't figure it out. And it's just because everyone's body is different and perfect for their own figure. Like no one has a custom breast, almost no one. Some people do and they're very lucky. But I found that it was still just as difficult. And this time looking for breast, so when you have this type of breast surgery, basically because they remove all of the tissue in your breast, they remove a lot of the nerves and a lot of the feeling. So I still feel the contact on the skin. I still have like some feeling in my skin, but it doesn't go much deeper. And I always give it the analogy of like, if you press on your forearm, you feel your skin there, but then it it hits bone and you don't feel anything in the bone. And I feel like that's sort of similar to my breast. It's softer, but at a certain point, I don't feel much. So the risk is, is that if you wear underwire bras or a bra that's too tight, it could be poking at you or it could be rubbing you and injuring you and you not even notice, especially for women right right after surgery. There's very little feeling because the feeling comes back over time. So doctors were saying even like cooking over a hot stove. I know one woman, sadly, who had a heating pad on for too long and really burned herself and because you the feeling is different. That's probably the only thing you really have to be hypersensitive of when you have the surgery. So I was looking for all these bras and I, so basically now to have a bra for these breasts, I was explaining to the woman who was trying to help me was having a hard time that it's more like a picture frame and less of a pulley system. Like I just <laughs> wanted a nice little like 
cake decoration for my breasts. Like I didn't need the whole holding up and all the, you know, levers and yeah. all that stuff or pulley system. And so the only two bras I liked were underwire bras. So what I did is I went home and cut out the underwire and then they fit me perfectly. And I actually went up a size or two in the chest band because I didn't need it to, I didn't need it to be tight to help lift my breasts because they're already naturally perky. And that's a result of the fact that the implant is placed in under your pectoral muscle, so it doesn't go anywhere. So it's great. You don't actually have to wear a bra, but I wanted to wear a bra because it's fun. You do sound incredibly happy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't made the wrong decision. That said, you are very for keen me, to, yeah. to point out that it's a decision is different for everyone. Can I ask you how you would advise yeah. people, A, to go about if they suspect that they might be at high risk of breast cancer, how to go about, I mean, it will mm-hmm. be slightly different in America but perhaps what to look out Mm -hmm. for. What I wanted for women and what I wanted to offer was that this is an example of everything that happened because I had so much pain and anxiety and fear going through my brain and I just wanted somebody to lay it out for me in like a very simple way. And so but part of that, what what I've explained and what I talked to friends and everything, if you feel that you're at high risk or even if you have high anxiety that you're at high risk, find a genetic counselor and ask them to go through it with you. Some doctors, you know, I've had them dismiss my friends and be like, well, there's no way you can't be at risk. But if you feel very uncomfortable and unsettled by it, even let's say you're negative for the gene, if that test makes you feel better, you know, because we're talking about like our future percentage of death and, you know, mortality and cancer. It's such a crazy thing. Like I was telling my cousin that like you don't really – in life, you're not really given a piece of paper with a statistic of like, okay, there's like 0.01% that I'll get hit by a bus this morning on my walking, you know, on my commute to work. Yeah. Like, we don't really think, I mean, we all want to be healthy and, and we all want to live a good life, but we're not constant, we're not staring at test results that can be very traumatic. And so I say to friends and family, go to a genetic counselor who knows how to deliver those test results. If you don't really feel supported by your doctor, you're allowed to find another doctor. That was something that I learned a lot in this process is that doctors are very smart and they're wonderful, but I get to choose which doctor I want to handle the information and deliver this process and go about my journey with me. There's nothing wrong with meeting somebody and saying, like, we just don't fit. And I was intimidated before. I was like, oh, well, this is a smarter person. This is a brilliant mind, and they must know. So if they're cranky, I'll just deal with it because they're smarter than me, and they could they could help me and save my life. But I very much could have also called and found another doctor and had a consultation with someone else. So I think that while this is all very overwhelming, the way we can cater it to ourselves and to our feelings and emotions is to be very picky with who we choose to walk through this with. And you are a hundred percent allowed to find your favorite doctor or even to talk it through with your family members. Like we, there's so much we can't control. So we might as well try and control the situation that we're in as best we can. And for me, it was my medical team. That was like what was very um, important to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is still the great fear for many people. I mean, I, yeah. have, to, I have to say, it's perhaps more honest than I should be, but 
when my mom told me that mm-hmm. she had breast cancer, my gut reaction was, I really hope she doesn't die. And my second gut reaction was, I really hope that doesn't mean I'm going to get breast cancer. Of course. And that's how we sort of survive through life. I mean, we watch other people. We've learned stories from, like, what people did and didn't do. And that's why we don't, you know, we don't run through traffic. Yeah. We don't dive off buildings. Like, we, we are people that are trying our best to survive. And our reaction is, how can I protect myself? How can I protect the people I love? And so... I think it's very common to have those fears, and I think sometimes it can be challenging if you, even if you just want to get the test, even if you're negative, but to walk through it with a doctor. Some people might say, oh, well, that's ridiculous, or you're being silly, and I think that's really hard for women because already we're dealing with you know <laughs> enough issues anyway that if we want to take care of ourselves, I want to be around somebody that, like, I want to be around a doctor or a scientist that yeah. takes me as seriously as I want them to. Well, that, that's um, a whole different yeah. issue, the issue of how seriously or not seriously, women are sometimes taken when they go to the doctor. There's a lot out there. I, I like, used to spend hours on Google searching all these medical issues, and yeah. I would, like, self-diagnose myself. I thought I had a thyroid disease. I didn't have any of that. Uh, <laughs> I was just an anxious woman uh, with Internet access. <laughs> obviously, our listeners can pick up your book, which we have details of, but there is also, you did also make a, a documentary, didn't you, with Glamour magazine called Screw You Cancer. Yes, you can get that on YouTube or on Glamour.com, and that was what I actually did. It was the first step of this trying to share my experience. I did that while the surgery was happening, which was sort of radical because I'm a comedian, I'm a performer, and um, my comedy partner was like, you've got to do something. You know, you're, you're going to use this in your act anyway. You you should record or, or even, like, write everything down. So I asked my friend who worked for Glamour Magazine if I could do a blog and sort of do a video entry before and after each doctor's appointment, like I've seen some women do on YouTube. Yeah. And then Glamour was like, let's do a full full-blown documentary. And so they're there with me, like... <laughs> as I'm getting ready to go into surgery, as I'm, like, getting my paperwork. I mean, it was so much. At the time, it was sort of insane. I was like, I can't believe I'm allowing a camera crew to follow me getting a mastectomy. But for me as a performer, and I really felt like I was, like, a little soldier and reporter for those other women that might be intimidated. I just kept thinking of, like, what did I want to know? And there was times where I was like, I don't want the camera crews here. And then I'd be reminded very quickly, like, well, you asked us to follow you. You asked us to show show everything. Are you sure you don't want to do it anymore? And I was like, no, you're right. I do. I do want to be fully exposed because I don't don't think there's enough coverage. I don't think enough people are talking about it. And so it was nice because it made me, like, put on my lipstick and go to work. And going to work just meant talking to a camera crew. (laughs) It wasn't very hard. I never left my house. So it was was pretty great. Now, obviously, a baby is up next for you uh, personally. But what's up next for you professionally? Well, um, yeah, the baby is going to take over my life, (laughs) which is without, of course. What I'm trying to do, what I'm thinking about professionally, I do a lot of speaking. I went, I actually went last year to London, Israel, and Holland to speak about um, my experience and to talk to women and give them any support, advice, or answer any questions. So I would, of course, love to keep doing that and talking, just meeting women, talking to women. I'm also an actress, and so I've been auditioning for a couple things. I shot a small part in a movie. I did a commercial. So hopefully... I'm actually told my agents that I was pregnant, and they're like, "Wait, when you're six months pregnant, we're going to put you in all the pregnancy commercials." <laughs> so I'm 
going to use this baby to help me hopefully book, like, who knows? It could be like a uh, Pampers commercial or another deodorant commercial. It's fine. (laughs) Pregnant women sweat, too. So um, just working on that and kind of doing both. And then hopefully I'll be, you know, also working on being a good mom. So Excellent. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You've been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. so nice. I just really appreciate it. That's Sunday Chops for this week. Remember, if you haven't listened to them already, our Jen has done a number of brilliant interviews. In fact, she's done all of them up to date. We've been slacking a bit. She's spoken to Judy Murray about tennis and many other things beside. She's spoken to Claire Balding and how she's largely allowed to get away with talking about sport, even though she's a woman. And she's also spoken to Paula Maguire about beating anxiety and preparing for a swim around the UK. So they are all on our podcast. And if you'd like to come and see our mouths move, rather than just listen to us, our next live show is on October the 5th. We have some cracking guests. It's a LST Theatre in Leicester Square, in that London. We've got some great guests. We've got Rebecca Front, we've got Evelyn Mock, we've got Scarlett Moffat, who are all brilliant. Tickets... And information about tickets are available on Sarah's website, www.sarahmillican.co.uk. Until next week. Standard Issue for All Women.